was teething, little gums bleeding. Friday evening, it was all about eating. When I became a teen, it was all about beefing. Now I'm ready for the world. Trying to sink my teeth in. Hey guys, welcome to episode 47 of Food Psych. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and today we are talking with an amazing guest. I know I definitely say that every time I've listened back to the old episodes, but really, I think all my guests are amazing people, and today's is no exception. Kyla Prinz is on the podcast today. She's the host of the podcast, Finding Our Hunger. She has a blog called Performing Woman, and she writes for Everyday Feminism, and she's just a super cool, interesting person with an interesting story about recovery. So we're going to talk to her today about her whole trajectory from being a really normal eater to becoming a disordered eater and descending into eating disorders, and then what helped her come out of that in more recent years. But first, I want to point you to a couple of great resources for helping improve your relationship with food. The first is my free quiz to assess your relationship with food and see how healthy it is. I'll send you your results via email along with more than a dozen personalized, individualized tips to help you make peace with food wherever you might fall on the spectrum right now. Take the quiz and get your results today at christyharrison.com quiz. That's christyharrison.com quiz. The second resource I want to share is my Intuitive Eating Online course. It's a 13-week program that I created to help you work through all the principles of intuitive eating in depth and really demystify and troubleshoot the common areas where people tend to get stuck. I'll show you how to recognize the diet mentality, even in its subtle forms, and how to start substituting healthy thoughts instead. I'll share my secrets to making food and exercise choices from a place of self-care rather than self-control, and I'll teach you how to navigate emotional eating and how to stop alternating between restricting and overeating, and so, so, so much more. Several participants have shared that the course has helped them make peace with their quote off-limits foods already. As one participant put it after trying one of their quote-unquote bad foods, I felt free, sweet, sweet freedom. Why was I so afraid of this food? I doubt I'll feel the need to buy another package when this one's gone, but just knowing it's off the bad list tastes and feels like a huge epiphany. What a moment of power. Participants are also having major revelations about how the diet mentality is hanging on in hidden ways. As one participant put it, before doing this module, I really thought I had given up the diet mentality. Now I realize that although I consciously reject dieting, I still have plenty of work to do towards accepting myself as I am. It was great. It really helped me identify what I need to work on by bringing it to my full awareness. And yet another participant shared this beautiful revelation she had in the course. My worth is not my weight or my looks, but my heart, mind, and soul. I need to trade in my self-judgment for self-love and compassion. It feels impossible some days, but I'm going to do my best. I deserve it. If you'd like to join others on this intuitive eating journey and have some beautiful revelations of your own, go to christyharrison.com course to learn more and sign up. That's christyharrison.com course. And then finally, if you like the podcast and want to help us reach more people who need to hear the body positive message, you can leave us a great review on iTunes. And I really appreciate people who've left reviews so far. Just open up iTunes on your computer, type in Food Psych to the search bar, click the result that comes up under podcasts, and then go to the ratings and reviews tab. There you can leave a rating and reviews sharing what you love about the podcast. And I'm so, so grateful for these nice reviews because they help bring us up in the ratings and help more people find these positive messages. 
And now without further ado, let's go to my conversation with Kyla Prinz. I caught up with her on Skype from her home in the Bay Area, California. So tell me about your relationship to food when you were growing up. Huh, interesting. Okay. So if we start at the very beginning, um, I call that my steakums and cookie dough phase. Mm. Um, <laughs> so pretty much I grew up like a 90s kid, uh, which means processed food, processed food, mm-hmm. and then trips to McDonald's for processed food. I loved food. Just going to put that out there. Like loved eating so much, so mm. much. Um, so, you know, on Friday nights, we'd go to this amazing Italian restaurant called Mario's in Boca Raton, which it's, I think it still exists, but not the way that it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just, I would mainline the garlic rolls, like, I don't know, 10 or 11 of them before the meal <laughs> came and then eat an adult size baked ziti and eat the whole thing. Wow. Like I loved food. It was great because, you know, I had, a, I had a really strong relationship to food too, because food meant certain things. So, you know, when I visited my dad, um, my, my parents were divorced pretty early. Mm. Um, and my dad was remarried. And so every other weekend, we would visit his family. And Friday night was always taco night. And Saturday night was always pizza night. And then we'd always, you know, we'd always get the Pillsbury or Toll House uh, cookie dough, and we'd have that for dessert. Mm. So it, there were like specific associations that I had with food because Friday night with garlic rolls with my mom, you know, so that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. So food was a big deal in my family. Um, That's awesome. Did you guys, did your family also love food and sort of model that for you? Is that how you got that relationship to it in the first place? Not really, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it's tough because I grew up with a lot of eating disorders in my family. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so if the kids were eating mat- like my what we call daddy's famous macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. you know, my stepmom would be eating broccoli, oh. you know, you know, and my mom always had something healthy, whether it was vegetarian at the time. And then, you know, mo- she was mostly vegetarian while I, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, she was she was a vegetarian who would eat like ham on a holiday, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so, so not super strict. Yeah. So it was more about the healthy thing than it was about like, you know, yeah. any sort of dogma, if you will, because it was just healthier to have fish, you know, because she did pescatarian for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was healthier to have fish than to have meat. But, you know, it was also healthier to have salad than it was to have fat, you know. So that so was kind she kind of kept eliminating with. things or substituting yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so I I kind of grew up with a lot of eating disorders around me. I think most of the women in my family have some sort of disordered eating, you know, or history of anorexia or bulimia or exercise addiction. So Mm. um, I got I got modeled a lot of that. But for some reason, none of that seemed to matter. When I was a kid, it was just like, let's just eat. It wasn't so much that I was obsessed with food and thinking about it all the time. It was like I knew that on Saturday for lunch, my dad was making macaroni and cheese. So it wasn't a big deal. It was coming. Mm-hmm. So I could go read a book or I could go outside and play with my sisters or, you know, none of those things mattered so much. I looked mm. forward to mealtime, but I was never like obsessive. Like, when am I going to get my cookie dough? When am I going to get my steakums? Mm. When am I getting my fruit roll? It was just like, meh, okay. You knew it was coming. So you trusted, trusted yeah. that it was on its way. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. So there clearly wasn't any sort of restriction placed on you. Like, well, if you nope. eat these vegetables, you'll get your cookie dough or whatever. Not even close. My, my parents knew I was a picky eater mm-hmm. and they were going to, and by picky, it was just only junk food. Um, and so they just <laughs> knew that I wasn't going to eat any of the other stuff that they put in front of me. So mm-hmm. they didn't make me which was kind of cool in the sense that like, you know, I never felt conditioned to clean your plate. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I just cleaned my plate because I liked food. Yeah, (laughs) totally. You had agency and you didn't have people intervening in your relationship to food, which is pretty remarkable for, you know, someone who has 
had an eating disordered family. It's mm-hmm. interesting that that was not a mechanism of their eating disorder to control your food, which is, it's very lucky. Yeah, it was very lucky. And so, you know, the fact that I ended up a disordered eater is kind of silly. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, I guess we all we all find our way. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's interesting because like like most women in your family were disordered eaters. That must be really hard. But then actually most women in the world are, di- are in, you know, American Western society are disordered eaters, um, mm-hmm. like 75 percent. Right. I think we talked about mm-hmm. that on your podcast last week. Exactly. So it's like, yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to escape and it makes complete sense that most women in your family would be disordered eaters from that perspective. And that, yeah. you know, you would be likely to fall prey to it too. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't help that, you know, my mom was uh, married to a guy who was a therapist. The very first person who ever told me that I was fat was that guy. <gasps> yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because like, I wasn't a fat kid. Like I, I was, I was a little chubby by fifth mm-hmm. grade, given the garlic roll consumption. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> but you know, like I never was. I was never like obese. I was never mm-hmm. the fat kid. I was never teased for my looks. Right. I had weird um, sensory issues. Where like I, to this day, I don't like wearing pants because I don't like things to touch my stomach. I, it sounds weird and a little crazy, but for people who experience this as well, like you can feel it right now when I'm talking. Oh I, yeah, I can, t- I can tell you. You know, I've actually had so, some clients who have that too, where it's like, it's maybe related to the eating disorder, but not completely. Yeah. It's kind of this other thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I would only wear elastic pants when like all of my friends were mm. wearing like Britney Spears low rise pants. Cause that was when Britney, you know, 1997, 98, that's when Britney came into, right. you know, my mom offered to buy me a pair of low rise jeans and I was like, nope, give me my elastic gym pants. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but yeah, but again, like it wasn't about body issues. It was just a sensory thing. Mm -hmm. There was no I had no sense of my body in space other than I use this for running around. Yeah. Like I use this for playing with my dogs. I use this for playing Sweet Valley Twins on the playground. Mm. There was no. And the funny thing is, even the Sweet Valley Twins were, um, you know, a perfect size six, which would not be considered perfect today. That's so interesting. I totally forgot about that. That was such a common refrain in their books. A perfect Mm -hmm. size six. Oh my God. How funny. Could you imagine anybody being called a perfect size six? Now those are, those are the plus size models. That would be radical. Yeah. Right. That's insane. Totally insane. (laughs) Oh, So coming out of that really like nice, just uh, organic relationship to your body and to food, when did you start to like question things or when did that social messaging start to creep in? It's so cliche, but puberty, Um, Mm -hmm. like literally, like literally puberty though. Yeah. Um, So, so here's the crazy story that I always tell. So when I was about 13 years old, I was in so I was in this amazing summer camp. I went every year for like most of my life. And then I went back to, as a counselor later on. But uh, I was sitting waiting for auditions because it was a drama camp. Mm-hmm. And my legs started breaking out in hives. Oh, I was like, oh, that's not good. You know, my mom showed up, took some Benadryl. Everything was fine. Happened again the next day and the next day. Mm. So my mom, who, again, has always been very sensitive to food and health and et cetera, mm-hmm. she's like, oh, you know, when you were a baby, I did an allergy test for you and you were shown to be sensitive to soy. <sighs> Maybe you're eating too much soy. Hmm. And now here I am, 13 years old. This is pre-Instagram, pre-everybody knowing mm-hmm. what, what processed food is, right? This is when margarine was considered healthier than butter. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I don't eat health food. Right. Like, 
I don't eat soy. That's disgusting. Yeah. And I learned how to read labels. And suddenly Mm. I realized that soy, this evil thing that was making me sick, was in everything. Mm -hmm. So I (laughs) went on what my camp friends call my soy-free summer, um, (laughs) which, you know, and they they made fun of me for it, like in not in a like bad way, but just kind of like kind of like joshing with me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so that soy-free summer, I couldn't eat anything that my friends were eating. So I started restricting my food and I started to get afraid to eat anything that I didn't prepare myself because I didn't know if somebody might accidentally put something with soy in it, Mm. you know. Yeah. So I I started eating just like peanut butter on whole wheat bread and apples <laughs> because mm-hmm. those were safe. Those were unprocessed. They didn't come from a box. Right. You know. Now at the same time, um, this same drama camp, uh, I was a lead in the show, mm-hmm. um, and I was super excited about it. it. Was I was Rizzo in Greece? Nice. Uh, playing like com- everyone thought I was going to be Sandy because I'm in real life. That's who I am. Uh huh. Um, but I got Rizzo, and I was so excited about it. But I'm not a good dancer. Mm-hmm. And so during the dance warm ups, I felt really inadequate. I couldn't keep up with the other kids who were mm. doing sit ups and stuff like that. So I started working out and then my mom got me a gym membership. So here I am now. I'm restricting my food. Um, I'm working out and I get thin real mm. fast, like real fast. And the boys at camp start noticing me. And one of them asks me out and gives me my first peck on the lips. Mm. Like this is all happening. And then July 4th comes around and it's July 4th, 2001. I will never forget this day on July 3rd. I got my first peck on the lips from Zach. <laughs> um, and then July 4th, I'm host. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, my parents are hosting a an Independence Day party mm-hmm. and all of my friends are coming over to my house and I have my first big girl bikini and I get my period. All of the things that could possibly happen. I'm suddenly a woman now oh. and I'm wearing a bikini and I have a boyfriend and <laughs> I'm popular and all of this stuff wow. happens all on the same day. And I go, whatever I'm doing, I got to do this more. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started restricting, restricting and kind of descended down into anorexia mm-hmm. as opposed to like orthorexia where it was more about like fixation on healthy food. But what happened from that moment on is I had this designation and identity as mm-hmm. healthy. People Mm. were like, oh, she's the healthy one. I wish I had her willpower. I wish I had the ability to work out like she does. I wish I knew how to, you know, eat as healthily as she does. Oh, if we go out, Kyla's going to be the one who gets the salad, right? Mm. You know, so I couldn't eat unhealthily because it had become such an ingrained part of who I was. Right. Yeah. All those comments were really keeping you stuck in this identity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and and I identified with it because Mm -hmm. it made me special. Right. It made me special. And I'd never been special like that before. So, you know, for most of my life, I struggled with that because, you know, I, I joined, I had a, a bone tumor in my knee. Okay. Um, it was benign, but mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't, I couldn't have it removed for two years because it was in, uh, it was on the growth plate. And um, while I was, you know, like while I was growing, if they accidentally nicked it, I would stop growing in one leg. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't so want that. I went for, yeah, you know, so I went for two years without surgery, but it's like literally the second that I I was cleared to like walk again, I was on the cross country team. Wow. You know, and I never properly rehabbed my leg um, and I ended up with stress fractures every single year. But I was also the fat, like the second fastest girl on the team. I was the captain, you know, so like, again, I was the healthy one. I was good. I was going to be the healthy one. 
you know, through college, I let that slip. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having to leave my school due to financial reasons, and I didn't feel special anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I switched schools, and I saw these beautiful blonde cheerleaders and sorority girls running outside my room, and I started restricting again and ended up anorexic. Like, you know, it, it was just, it was the cycle of, like, needing to prove how healthy I was and just right. getting more and more entrenched in it. And the deeper I went, the more people complimented me, so I would go deeper, Ugh. you know? This like the thing about identity I hear so often from people who've been struggling a long time with eating like it's especially insidious if it comes in early in your development 13 whatever you you're struggling to be special everybody's struggling to be special nobody feels very good about themselves so right. if you kind of stumble on something that makes people take notice it's like ooh how can i do more of this how can exactly. i how can i ensure and, and- this stays we're told too that you can't be too healthy. Right. Like that's the thing. Yep. It's like, okay, so if I have to do more of this, it's good. Right. You know, if you can if you can restrict gluten, well then you can just restrict all grains. Like right. it's just it's just more is better. And it's that's not true. It's no. so not true. But nobody in the mainstream will tell us this. And mm-hmm. it's become such an ingrained cultural belief at this point that people really honestly think that more is better. And by more, I mean less. Right, exactly. More restriction equals less joy, less food, less everything, less life. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's so interesting how it can take root pretty quickly and, you know, you don't even notice it's coming up and the identity kind of keeps you from acknowledging it. It's like a, an easy way to stay in denial if you have this positive identity associated with it, which I think mm-hmm. is, is why social change around, you know, body judgment and pursuit of the quote unquote thin ideal is so important. Like why yeah. changing that is so important. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I realize that I'm fighting an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Like a coworker confessed to me that she's eating calories this week because oh, she's on She's on Metafast and somebody's watching her, but she needs to lose the baby weight. And I was like, <gasps> like, I, I felt like all of the air knocked out of my lungs. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's not a because yeah. how do you say to a person you're the thing you're doing is not OK. Right. But right. like, I just I didn't know what to say other than, you know, maybe maybe there's another way. And she's like, no, no, this is the way. And it was like, OK, oh. you know, and like I've got friends who are doing isogenics and Beachbody 21 Day Fix and um, Advocare. And it's like you try to tell them that like the thing you're doing is maybe not the right thing. And they're like, no, this is the thing. Right. This is the thing and that you cannot tell me anything. Like, and it's like, okay. I'm, I know. I'm step back. I don't know what to say then. I'm sorry. But I know. It's like, I've been there what too. Do you do? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and do? it's really unfortunate that medical doctors, you know, in some cases are the proponents of this and are medically watching somebody and it's okay. It's a medically approved low calorie diet. So therefore it's healthy. Like it has this health halo, but Mm. medical doctors are minimally trained on nutrition Mm. and they're not specialists. They don't actually really, uh, you know, they're not the best people to be prescribing diets for whatever reason. And there's also very disordered dietitians out there that will prescribe some of that stuff mm-hmm. because because weight loss is considered healthy in the mainstream. So oh, anything yeah. you have to do to achieve it, you know, especially if a person is quote unquote at risk or obese or whatever to begin with, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, by any means necessary. Yeah, I know. And it's like, what do you what do you do? What do you do when the mainstream is is saying that it's okay? 
Right. You know, or that it's important or that it's and it's like, you know, I I do what I can in this tiny little niche that Mm -hmm. I work in. You know, I tell everybody that I've ever met to read Harriet Brown's book, um, Body of Truth. Yes. Um, But, you know, like at some point, you know, you're going to get pushback and it's like Mm -hmm. I can I can influence these 30 people. But there's like seven billion more who need help. I know. I know. Well, you know, the thing that I always fall back on to give me hope is like people do eventually come around for themselves. A lot of people. I mean, some people can live in denial for their entire lives. But I think for most people at a certain point, if it gets restrictive enough and bad enough, it might dawn on them like I this is not good for me. I'm not happy. I'm, I have a messed up relationship to food. Like what is going on? And, you know, a certain percentage of those people are driven to seek support for improving that. So, you know, I just, I think like as, I mean, yeah, orthorexia is going to be the next Mm. huge public health crisis, I think. (laughs) Like, oh, it absolutely, it it already is. It already is. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's like, and the thing is, what kills me is, you know, so I was a big part of the paleo community for mm. the last three years and I've tried to distance, like I've left all the Facebook groups because I just can't deal with the, the BS anymore. Yeah. But like somebody posts an article about orthorexia and immediately they're like, you know, oh, big pharma's just trying to find another way to drug us all. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> nope, it's not. That's not what we're saying. No, we're not saying eating healthy is a bad thing. Yeah, they're just they're just trying to get us to get more stuff from big ag. No, uh, that's actually not what we're saying. It's like when it becomes an obsession that's taken over your life and you can't function unless you're eating your perfectly sourced ground beef or, you know, you can't touch any of the food in this restaurant. Like maybe maybe yeah, we need to talk. Exactly. <laughs> you know? That's when it's a problem. That's when it's curtailing your life. Linda Bacon was on the podcast Mm -hmm. recently, and she had such a great way of putting it. She was like, food is such a small aspect of health. And it's, it's true. You know, when you look at the, at the literature on like what contributes, what environmental factors contribute to people's overall health, you know, food is, is such a small percentage of what really matters to our health, you know, emotional well-being and, psychological health is a huge factor, more Mm -hmm. important than food in determining our health. People have this idea that like food is medicine and food Mm -hmm. will save you. And, you know, I was just going to say, how many times have you seen that quote repinned somewhere on a paleo Mm -hmm. blog? That's like, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. Right. It's like, sometimes that's not that. No, that's actually not. Yeah, that's not good. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes, yes, it can be like, if you need that, please do that. Like, don't Mm -hmm. don't hurt yourself. Like, I never want to say to anybody who has experienced good, positive outcomes in their health, Mm -hmm. you know, like, don't do that thing because you should be on a pill. Like, I don't. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm not a shill for big pharma. I'm sorry. You know, you can't out me, guys. It's Mm -hmm. that's not the case. I'm not getting paid by big pharma to tell you stuff. But like sometimes and I've written about this before, like you can't paleo harder, you know, Like, I had to take thyroid pills if I wanted to get my period back. Right. Like, and then I had to gain weight. Like, those were two very important things. Absolutely. Um, And when I did those two things, I got my period back. Now I'm healthy. You know what I mean? Like, and again, people who, like, I understand PCOS. There are people with fertility issues. I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, say, like, if you don't have your period for any reason, you're not healthy. But for me who had a regular period until I started restricting and quote unquote eating healthy. Yeah. um, That was a really dangerous thing. Totally. So 
in order to get my period back, I had to gain weight. I had to re- I had to fix my hormones. And yeah. like I, I still take thyroid and I am doing better than I ever have. So I'm not going to say, well, maybe I should have just eaten an autoimmune paleo diet and that no. would have fixed it because I did that and it didn't. So P.S. Autoimmune. There is no such thing as an autoimmune diet. There's no diet that's going to fix your autoimmune disease. So I know that's I know. You know something people aren't always aware of. But yeah, like, so it's interesting. I mean, I had a very similar experience with the period thing. I (laughs) lost my period also after restricting and, you know, starting to overexercise and nobody really caught it because Mm -hmm. I had gained a little bit of weight and it started out as like, I'm going to just lose this weight, which had never, I had never done that before in my life, but people were like, oh, that's sensible, you know, and then <laughs> it spiraled into something else. And I I lost my period. And, you know, meanwhile, I was getting a ton of compliments and, you know, having a bunch of other health issues that seemed to be related, but no doctors figured it out because no doctors screened me, which is shocking to me, but also makes sense. Not that yeah, <laughs> no, it makes sense because, you know, I didn't fit the picture. I wasn't emaciated or skeletal like they right. might sort of assume from someone with an eating disorder. But which again just, you know, it drives me up a wall because not mm-hmm. all eating disorders look like a pound starved woman. Exactly. You know? Like that is not at all what an eating disorder like that is not the picture. And it's, I think increasingly the picture is like what is quote unquote considered healthy, mm-hmm. which is so scary, you know? Oh it's, yeah. I mean, to, to share something that, that just makes me cry, like when I think about it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with, uh, Dr. Stephen Brotman, who, uh, he's the guy who coined the term orthorexia Mm, and, you know, he's put me in touch with various people, you know, who are suffering from it. And I just, I got, uh, an email from this one girl who is really struggling and doesn't want to go to treatment because she's looked up pictures online of healthy skinny. Oh no. And she says, but I look like that. Like oh. she showed, she showed me the, the pictures from her Google search of healthy skinny. Oh. And she's like, I look like this. How can I be unhealthy? And it's like, oh, it just breaks my heart because I'm like, you know, how are we supposed to get better? Yeah. This is not a safe world for recovery. And most people don't even think that they need recovery. They think that they're just doing the right thing. Right. And like, you know, there's, I mean, last night even, I was on Facebook and I had to unfollow another friend who was like, I'm becoming a beach body coach. Her before picture, she's already underweight looking, you know what I mean? Oh. Like, what? Like she doesn't need to lose anything. And then right. her after picture, she's like, I just lost inches off my waist. And, and I'm just like, I'm not going to say anything because you know what? Like I'm, she's an acquaintance and it's just Mm -hmm. not my place to like reach out and try to proselytize. Like maybe you don't need to, I just had to unfollow. unfollow. Yeah. But it's like the thing that scares me is it's like sign up and you can do this too. Right. You can be healthy like me. And it's like, what do I do? What do I say? I know it's a losing battle for a lot of people. And I think I haven't even tried with, you know, certain people in my circles that are like, obviously like following the paleo path or, you know, in really into quote unquote clean eating. Cause it's like, yeah. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change their minds. It's probably going to be an argument that I don't want to have. And especially if it's someone I'm not close to, like, what's the point, but mm-hmm. I'm just trying to put stuff out there in the world. That's an alternative. And, you know, maybe somebody will stumble on it. Who's in a place of readiness to change. But I know from my own experience, and I, I wonder if you had this too, where it just like, I did go through a period of serious denial where, you know, when I was going 
going to all those doctors for my period problems. And I was like, yeah, I'm having, you know, fatigue and constipation and mental fogginess. I wanted to blame something else. I kept insisting that I had a gluten intolerance. That was my thing. I was like, it's got to be the gluten, you know? And nobody except for my mom was like, you know, my mom said, I wonder if it was just like so gentle. She's like, I wonder if any of these problems could be reversed if you just gained a little bit of weight. I was like, no, other people get to be this thin and they don't have problems. So it has to be something else. That was my logic. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, a hundred. It's not fair, you know? Okay. So oh. that is one of my biggest pet peeves is if she can do it, why can't I? Right. You know, it kills me because like I have a friend who's anorexic mm-hmm. and I've been like, you know, maybe you should stop l- blogging and, you know, mm-hmm. and she's like, but that's who I want to be when I'm healthy. So I'm mm-hmm. going to keep doing this because if she can do it, if the other girls can do it, then I can do that too. And eventually I'll get to a place where this isn't unhealthy for me. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, actually they're all unhealthy because they're all fixated on food and promoting right. these like horrible, like it's just, oh, the, if she can do it, why can't I is one of the I know. worst. And I, I'm using the she pronoun, but feel free to insert any pronoun oh, here. Totally. If they can do it. So can I, mm-hmm. because the thing is, it's like, you know, maybe there's like the, the unicorns out there who are doing this in a healthy way, you know, who are uh, naturally at negative body fat without losing their period, without mm-hmm. experiencing potential osteopenia or osteoporosis. Their heartbeat isn't slowing down. Right. Um, maybe maybe they're, you know, they can post all day about food and then once they shut off Instagram, go and have a life, you know. Maybe they don't deal with obsessive compulsive issues. Maybe they don't feel hangry every time. Yeah, there are some people out there who do those things and it's not a problem. But they're in the minority, I would say. Like, especially, and I think it's, you know, I've said this on the podcast before. I think it's so individual and really only you know your own mind. So nobody else can can say, and people often miss what's going on in your head. You know, the behaviors might look quote unquote healthy, but what's happening in your head to get you there is so messed up and nobody sees that. And oftentimes people with eating disorders are, are, and I include myself in this, like, you know, with my history, perfectionistic and, um, you know, want to present a good front to the world, want people to like them. And so they're going to do a really good job of hiding that stuff. And so mm-hmm. their friends and family may not even recognize what's going on for them. But I just, yeah. I feel like if you're listening to this, you probably already are curious about having a good relationship to food and what that might mean. And maybe you don't have a good relationship to food. And so, you know, if you know that what's going on in your, in your head is kind of crazy or is making you feel awful, that's a clue that it's not working for you. And that while it might yeah. work for other people or you might you know, see pictures of it working for other people, which is different than it actually working. Yes. You know, it's not working for you individually. So we're all unique snowflakes, right. you know? Like, right. And, you, and you. you know what? Life life isn't fair. Mm-hmm. Like there, because, you know, look, I, I have an eating disorder and an exercise addiction. Like mm-hmm. I do. And if, if I could, I would go back to those behaviors all the time, just like an alcoholic would go mm-hmm. back to drinking. You know, like if I really put my mind to it, I could go back to being an exercise addict and I could look, look mm-hmm. a certain way. But you know what? If I really want to be honest with myself and true, like I can't do that. My body is I don't need to put it through that again. And maybe those women don't have to have any eating disordered behaviors, don't have to diet, don't whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair. And I have to accept it. Mm-hmm. It is not fair. 
you know what? It's not. I don't like it. It's not fair. But yeah. uh, at the same time, if I want to stay recovered and if I want to be functional and if I want to be able to be emotionally healthy and um, healthy enough to be in relationship with somebody mm-hmm. and healthy enough to go to work every day and healthy enough to be a productive member of society, for me, mm-hmm. while it's not fair and I can throw every temper tantrum in the world, <laughs> while it's not fair, I still have to deal with it and go on and live my life. Yes. And I accept that. And while it sucks to have to accept things, I do it anyway, because at the end of the day, if I have to like count up my things I'm grateful for column, they seem to tend to add up a lot faster when I'm not doing my behaviors, you know? Yeah, that's such a great point. Yeah, such a great point. You know, and I, I just I just want to put it out there. Yeah. So she can do it. Doesn't mean you can. And, and you have to accept it. Absolutely. <laughs> you have to accept it. And I also tell my clients a lot, like, just because she looks like she can do it doesn't mean yeah. she actually can. Like, maybe she can do it for a little while, just like you did. And then <laughs> it tips over into something obsessional and crazy. Or, you know, maybe she's silently suffering and struggling just like you are. And you would you have no idea, you know, like, yeah. you just have no idea what's going on for people. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw somebody had posted, um, I think Maddie Moon had posted an article about fitness competitions and why they're not mm. healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a big into the fitness world. So that was like, yep, correct. But somebody had posted uh, in the, uh, on Facebook in response to her article that was like, um, well, why, you know, well, how, how are these women like the real fitness models? And she named a couple. Like, mm-hmm. how do they do it? And I'm like, just because they're do- like... They get paid to do that. Right. Doesn't mean that it's healthy for them, that it's normal, that it's not like they they they're doing it because there are careers are riding on it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean anything else. You know, exactly. Oh, my so, God. Totally. It doesn't mean that they aren't plagued with the same obsessive thoughts that you are <laughs> like. Exactly. It's yeah. It just because something looks good. And I think that's the problem with society's understanding of health right now at this point in time. It's like a very outside in understanding. Oh, God, yeah. You know, health really comes from the inside. It's you can't tell anything by looking at the outside. And if you feel like you have a perfect outside, it doesn't negate whatever is going on inside that could be really unhealthy and bad. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, So kind of jumping back into your story, what was the the turning point for you? There are so many turning points. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So and this is the thing is recovery is not like a linear thing. There was a lot of pivoting. There was a lot of pivoting. Totally. A lot of turning. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) Um, So I was 13. I was pounds. I was not healthy. But then I started eating chocolate again and life was good. Um, I ate so I didn't die. You know, mm-hmm. um, then I had, you know, my surgery. I started going through the cross country thing. I started gaining weight, went through college, had the relapse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't even remember how I, I managed to get out of that one other than, um, you know, just life circumstances kind of got in the way. I was a teacher. I was working 90 hours a week and I just didn't Jeez. have time. I had 200 lives uh, to deal with wow. instead of my own. You know, oh yeah, I graduated. I graduated early and became a, a director of a theater department. Mm-hmm. And so, getting involved in other people's lives really helped me get yeah. out of my my relapse with anorexia. That's huge. Because you know, I can't be dying. You know, I can't be dying if I've got two hundred kids uh, who are being bussed in from all areas. You know, to make sure that they're graduating. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Totally. So that was cool. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and then I, I went through my, my relapse with uh, bodybuilding, orthorexia and clean eating that turned mm-hmm. into anorexia. Um, I ended up quitting graduate school and just kind of going home to live with my parents and threatening mm. suicide. And it was just it was a bad news bears. So yeah. my first turning point, my first real turning point was I got a job at Apple um, in the mall, which was super humbling because mm-hmm. here I was. You know, I'd gone to the Ivy Leagues. Um, I had run my own theater department, and now I'm working at the Boca Raton Mall. Mm, um, yeah, super humbling. But Apple really helped me because, again, they they're not commission based. So mm. um, I just I got to get and like their whole premise at the time. I don't know what retail's like anymore there, but at the time it was really like get involved in your customers' lives. Like you want them mm. to come back. Like find out how you can make their lives. But like I had customers who would get their computer and then come in like weeks later and introduce me to their family while they were taking the classes and stuff like that. So it was was cool. That's cool. And it got me, you know, I didn't have my own schedule, so I couldn't, you know, schedule my food and my gym as much as I had. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I was outside of myself because now I had a mission. I was like, I was a mentor and then I got promoted to expert. So I was like really focused on making this company great instead of worrying about my body as much. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was still pretty fixated, but I I didn't have as much control because I also had other people's lives, again, to care about. Right. That's Um, a huge factor. But I moved in with these uh, two guys who were not the best roommates. Let's put it this way. Mm. Um, Emotionally abusive could also be used. And Mm. um, I started to suffer from anxiety again. And so, again, I turned inside Mm -hmm. and I became a vegan and I did a 30-day Bikram challenge. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this for 30 days just to reset everything. Because I was like, I'm gaining weight. I'm feeling anxious. Maybe I can fix it by focusing on myself. So 30 days turned into nine months. Um, Yeah. So I uh, started to get depressed again. I lost a ton of weight. And then I started getting bloated all the time and I had horrific acne. Mm. Um, about nine months in, I'd left these roommates and moved to California with my mom. Mm-hmm. And I stopped getting my period. It was at my sister's graduation. I was supposed to get my period. I got it for one day and then it was gone. And that was very unusual. And uh, the next month, uh, I didn't have my period again. And I was scared because the only other times in my life when I didn't have my period was when I was anorexic. Mm-hmm. And that was, again, a turning point for me when I realized, oh, holy crap, I'm hurting myself yeah, by being a vegan. I'm doing which this is, again. You know, and my mom had just started paleo, and so she was busy, you know, like shoving books under my nose, like, read this, read that. So I did, <sighs> and of course I became paleo. Uh-huh. And that was a turning point because for the first time, I was allowed to eat calories because calories didn't matter. Mm. Um, I was allowed to eat meat. I was allowed to eat fat because those were good things. Right. So while I, I have a ton of arguments about paleo now, that starting point was super important for me. Like I needed mm-hmm. that time because you know what? I did gain weight yeah. and I did eat food that nourished my brain. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I started to like be able to recontextualize my entire life. And I began to see how disordered I'd been. Now, of course, I've got some thoughts about paleo and especially the people who have found my site and the people that I've worked with tend to be people in the paleo world mm-hmm. who are like, I don't understand why I'm still so obsessed with food. Ugh. So, you know, and so I, I was paleo for like three years. But for the last year of paleo, I kind of wasn't in the sense of my heart wasn't in it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to kind of see through the the seams, you know, and I, I spoke at paleo FX this year and I'm, I'm 
kind of sad that I did because I was the only person who was speaking about body image this year. Mm. I had like a full workshop, like full workshop. There were people crying like it was it was beautiful and cathartic and important. But then people would get up and go to the next lecture on, you know, how to restrict your food again. And it was just like, well, I I don't know. I don't know why I'm here. But, you know, that's the audience that probably needs to hear that. I mean, you know, everybody needs to hear that, you know, but especially people who are going to a paleo conference, like those people are dug in. So you can give them just a a glimmer of a different way of seeing things. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah. And, you know, prior to that conference, because I had submitted much earlier, like I submitted to talk on MTHFR and I'm kind of sad that I I wasn't able to pull out of that one. But, Mm. um, you know, MTHFR. Uh, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. It's a it's a genetic polymorphism that could potentially have a lot to do with like eating disorders and depression and anxiety mm. and all of that stuff. So I, I talked about it, but I just feel like people hearing about it then go and research it and start restricting again and trying to fix their diet based on their their genetic polymorphisms. Mm-hmm. And so you know, like I felt guilty for giving that talk, but I couldn't pull out of it because for the year prior, I had started unsubscribing. Mm-hmm. I unsubscribed from every podcast, from every blog. I stopped reading the health articles. I stopped sharing the health articles. And mm-hmm. I started getting immersed in health at every size and in what I call discovery and not recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I was done recovering. I did that. I did that part where I no longer was like restricting per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still fixated and scared and had fear foods and schedules and things like that. And so I started traveling. I went mm-hmm. to eight conferences. And uh, I was like all over the country last year and I started dating mm-hmm. people who weren't paleo. Amazing. Um, I know. Crazy, right? And going out and eating with them and dealing with that and, mm-hmm. and dealing with the body image issues of dating. And and I started listening to comedy and again mm-hmm. because comedy is what I love. Um, the Nerdist channel is basically like my my lifeblood at this point. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's it's a problem. Um, I have <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, my friend Kelly Bose, who's a holistic nutritionist in in Calif- in uh, Canada, rather. Mm-hmm. She and I have developed uh, a bond over Chris Hardwick. Oh yeah, so, he's great. Yeah, you know. So you know, now that he's getting married, uh, I immediately sent her a message like, "We have oh. a new mommy." <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's very cute. It's it's the most awkward, super embarrassed. But, you know, uh, but it, I started finding things outside of myself. That's when I started. I found burlesque. I found pole. Mm-hmm. I started pole dancing. I started dealing with things outside of like outside of this world that I had immersed myself in mm-hmm. um, and started pushing the boundaries and started getting uncomfortable. And so the more that I did that, the more that the the seams started to rip and the more that I could see through the cracks. And I realized, you know, maybe if I try a piece of bread, I won't die. So I mm-hmm. did. And I didn't die. Nice. And then I had another piece of bread. And suddenly I was eating gluten again and I didn't die. Yes. Um, and I started adding things back into my diet in a way that like I never had the courage to do before. Right. And it felt really good. And, you know, now, mind you, during this time, I started dating a paleo blogger. Mm. Uh, and I didn't tell him I ate bread because I've never cheated on a person and I never want to cheat on a person. Like I mm-hmm. like I actually really love I really love this guy. And yeah. I felt so guilty. I felt like I was cheating by eating a piece of bread. And I realized how crazy that was. So I finally told him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the other day we we went on a trip to L.A. and 
the two of us were like, I was eating toast and he was eating oatmeal. And like, we were taking, like, we had like a spoonful of Nutella. And like, <laughs> he and I both looked at each other like, God, if the paleo world could see us, ah. you know, and it was, it was so great because he was like, you know, that kind of gave, I think kind of gave him a little bit of permission to, to try yeah, and see. Completely. You know, and it was, it's so cool because like, obviously, like we both know what it means to eat healthy and we're not eating Nutella for every meal, you know, and like for the most part, he eats meat and vegetables because that's what makes him feel the best. But mm -hmm. you know what? To be 100% honest, I feel kind of crappy when I eat too much meat. Mm -hmm. So I don't anymore. Like yeah. I sometimes have chickpeas and I'm okay. Right. I'm okay. And I'm healthy and I'm not dying. At some point, I, I had to let go of the idea that I was going to be immortal and perfect mm -hmm. and and be the healthy one and the example, like maybe I could be the healthy one and the example by just living my damn life and l like, that's it. Like, right. done. Letting health <laughs> you know? fall into place. Yeah. Yeah. Or letting yeah. health so, encompass more than just eating, quote unquote, perfectly. Exactly. And mm -hmm. so, you know, and it's been a process. Like, I'm finding that there are certain things that I literally can't eat, like apples and almonds, which are two of my favorite foods. Mm -hmm. Um because I think I kind of OD'd on them for the majority of my sickness. My mouth bleeds when I eat them. So I don't oh, eat them. Yeah. You know, like that's just that's just a thing that I recognize and understand. And mm -hmm. don't, but there's no like fear around it. There's no moralizing around it. It's not because of, you know, this, that or the other micronutrient. It's because mm -hmm. that's what my body does when it gets the proteins from those things. So yeah, I don't it's actually an allergy that can develop in people over time. It's like... Mm -hmm certain percentage of adults get that out of nowhere like when they've yeah. been eating that stuff for their entire lives so exactly so and i it's, it is a bummer but it's not the end of my world right. it's not like oh my god i can't have these almond butter protein balls anymore right. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna you know die. it's like it's like okay i'll have some peanut butter yeah exactly done there's like, other food <laughs> yeah exactly you know, that period that I call my discovery and not recovery, mm -hmm. um, that was so helpful for me because I have gotten into this place where I know how to be uncomfortable without being unsafe, mm -hmm. you know, because um, that's kind of my philosophy is just get uncomfortable, but not unsafe. Like if it is unsafe for you to eat a certain food because you will relapse, mm -hmm. you know, like don't maybe don't try that food today or just try a little bit of that food or you know, maybe, you know, still follow your food schedule, but do it differently. Like j do the uncomfortable thing that isn't going to like send you wildly backsliding. Right. That's and a good that's point. kind of and that's kind of what I did is I got out of my comfort zone by trying a little piece of bread one day. Yeah. And sitting with it and being, you know, and dealing with the guilt and the fear and the unknowns. And I lived through it and saw that I could. So I tried it again a couple days later. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Were there like, people in your life that helped you do that, like that either modeled that or just kind of sat with you as you did? Sadly, no. Mm. <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, with the exception of a couple of uh, the incredible like health coaches and stuff with whom I'm in touch, mm -hmm. you know, I don't really have anybody here who could do that for me. But, you know, I mean, like even my mom has watching her evolution from like mm -hmm. vegetarian, pescatarian, you know, to paleo to like now she like eats pizza sometimes mm. and she's cool. So like that, that was helpful to see. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, like I really just kind of had to 
white knuckle it and do it on my own because I knew I needed to do it for me. Yeah. You know, throughout my entire life, I really didn't have help. People didn't know I was unhealthy. And so even when I was begging for help, begging for help, you know, like, okay, we'll just go see this therapist. Well, if this therapist doesn't know how to talk to you, then it's not the right therapist. But nobody says... Nobody says, you have the right to fire your therapist and go find another one. Or, you know, when I asked to go to inpatient, first of all, there's no way in hell that I didn't look anorexic. Mm-hmm. There's no way that insurance would have paid for it. Oh, God, that's such a horrible aspect of all of this. Yeah. And I didn't have health insurance at the time. So it was like, we'll go out and get a job and then see mm-hmm. what happens. Well, thankfully, my job was the job at Apple and things shifted for me. But, mm-hmm. you know, could you imagine what would have happened if it wasn't that? I know. If you had been in a job that had exacerbated things and like yeah. made you feel worse about yourself or had, you know, feel like you needed to use symptoms more. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a tragedy of the industry, of the medical and insurance industry that people have to be quote unquote sick enough to get really exactly. intensive help. But on your way to sick enough, whatever that is, you're going to be experiencing a lot of terrible stuff that, you know, if you're the longer you spend in it, the harder it is to reverse. Exactly. So if we could, you know, that's another big thing that I, I wish I could have some influence over is changing the insurance company, you know, mindset of only paying for treatment when people reach a certain weight or have certain mm-hmm. labs. People need preventive care in this yes. regard. And maybe a little more preventive care on disordered eating would avoid the really serious, expensive treatments down the line. Mm -hmm. But, (sighs) you know, that's why orthorexia is so scary, because you're healthy, 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 sick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because it's so condoned until it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody recognizes it while it's happening. And yeah, the media portrayal of what health looks like now is generally underweight. That's shaped our view of what's supposed to be healthy, right? Well, but if you're strong, not skinny, then you're not unhealthy. Right, right. The whole, yeah, strong, not skinny meme, which is (laughs) another version of the same problem, right? It's like the outside in (laughs) definition of health. Exactly. So So. how did you discover health at every size? Uh, I think by accident. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It just kind of filtered into my life over that period of discovery. Um, And I think I recognized that health at every size was a thing when I started living it. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. gaining weight. Why am I still healthy? I'm gaining more weight. Why am I still healthy? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I'm bigger than I've ever been in my life. Why am I still healthy? Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, like why why did my life not come crashing down? How are people still wanting to date me and I have a good job and I'm not sick? Mm -hmm. Like, this doesn't make any sense. So I started doing research. Um, And then I started interviewing feminists and people in the health at every size world on my podcast instead of paleo people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started getting their perspectives. And then I started following the fat acceptance and size acceptance movements, started following body positive people on Instagram. Um, I'm not a Tumblr fan, but that's where you can also find people. Mm -hmm. Um, I started working for everydayfeminism.com, which was super helpful because then I learned about intersectional feminism. And that was like, it completely just like blew my mind. Like, oh my God, bodies are 
they can be anywhere on any spectrum of size and shape and gender. And like, it was just, it was so important for me to see that. Mm -hmm. And so once I knew that that was a thing, it was really easy to pick up the ball and run with it. Cause I'm one of those people who will like go out and do the research mm -hmm. the same way that I was about like micronutrients, you know? Right. So you're so. <laughs> applying some of the same tendencies to, to recovery, which is amazing. Yeah. Exactly. And so the more invested I became in it and the more stories that I allowed myself to hear and started asking to hear, mm -hmm. the easier it was for me to start to incorporate that into my own life and into my own view of my body. Mm. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's so beautiful <laughs> that that message could help you heal. And I love your podcast. Um, we're almost we're, we're just about out of time. But tell us yeah. where people can find you online and where they can find your podcast and about your blog and stuff like that. Totally. So the podcast is called Finding Our Hunger, um, not Finding Your Hunger, Finding Our Hunger, because mm. um, I, I know people always mess that up. But you can find it wherever your fine podcasts are sold uh, <laughs> for free. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. they're, they're free. It's iTunes, Stitcher, any RSS feed. If you listen to it on Overcast or what, mm -hmm. just type in Finding Our Hunger, you'll find it. Or you can just go to FindingOurHunger.com and listen to it directly there if you don't have a podcast player. So that's the best place to find that. Um, and if you like the podcast, you can become a Patreon or leave us a review. That'd be great. But yeah, uh, my blog is at, at the time of this recording is in transition. So hopefully when this is up, uh, everything will be as it should be. You know, one of the big parts of my discovery is realizing that, you know, when I started my blog, which is called In My Skinny Jeans at the mm -hmm. time, uh, when I started it, it was more about the play on words because I really wanted to write about genetics than it mm -hmm. was about being skinny. But as I've evolved, realizing that that word being a part of my persona says certain things about who I am as a person, even if that's mm -hmm. not true, like, or about what I believe. And so I've been working on transitioning my blog um, over to something that I call performing woman, which is a play on words as well, mm. because I am a performing woman. My blog, uh, you know, like I, I am a burlesque and pole dancer, mm -hmm. but I'm also somebody who uh, is very deeply involved in the act of performing woman. Like performing the act of female of woman of whatever culture says about this thing that I, you know, identify with. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my like intersectional feminist play on words. That's cool. Um, yeah. So it's really silly. But, um, you know, I've I've long held the belief that I am a drag queen trapped in a woman's body. So, <laughs> uh, I thought that it was fitting. Yeah, um, that's awesome. So, I love it. But so if everything is as it should be by the time this podcast goes out, it's at performingwoman.com. But in the meantime, my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook are all at Performing Woman. So facebook.com slash Performing Woman, Twitter at Performing Woman, Instagram at Performing Woman. So you'll find me no matter what, and you'll just find links to wherever I am. So awesome. Oh, yeah. Kyla, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was great to talk to you. And I am Absolutely. so excited to release this and to be on your podcast pretty soon for as well. Sure. So we'll have to coordinate about uh, when those are going up. Cross promote. That's, that's perfect. You know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll have to have a conversation. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Yay. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guest for being here and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Android or whatever your favorite podcast app is if you haven't done so already. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch with you online. The best way is by email. So if you join my email VIP list, you'll get exclusive tips about intuitive eating and body positivity and updates about all my work as well 
well as new episodes of the podcast. So if you go to christyharrison.com slash email, you can sign up there. That's christyharrison.com slash email. And I would love to have you guys all on my VIP list. And then you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Food Psych on Facebook and Food Psych Pod on Twitter. And then I am also on Instagram, just me this time. I don't have a separate account for the podcast, but I'm on Instagram at Christy Harrison. And the first I is a one. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL. And the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect position now? Bullies want your food, and you ain't really beat. Have you ever won?